Chapter 5 of Trails End. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeff Chestnut. Trails End by George W. Ogden. Chapter 5 Ascalon Awake. Ascalon was laid out according to the Spanish tradition for arranging towns that dominated the builders of the West and Southwest in the days when Santa Fe extended its trade influence over a vast territory. Although Ascalon was only a stage station in the latter days of traffic over the Santa Fe Trail, its builders, when it came occasion to expand, were men who had traded in that capital of the gray desert wastes at the trail's end, and nothing would serve them but a plaza, with the courthouse in the middle of it, the principal business establishments facing it the four sides around. There were many who called it the plaza still, especially visitors from along the Rio Grande who came driving their long-horned, lean-flanked cattle northward over the Chisholm Trail. Santa Fe, at its worst, could not have been dustier than this town of Ascalon, and especially the plaza, or public square, in these summer days. Galloping horses set its dust flying in obscuring clouds. The restless wind that blew from sunrise till sunset, day in and day out from the southwest, whipped it in sudden gusts of temper, and drove it through open doors, spreading it like a sun-defying hoar-frost on the low roofs. All considered, Ascalon was as dry, uncomfortable, unpromising of romance as any place that man ever built or nature ever harassed with wearing wind and warping sun. The courthouse in the middle of the public square was built of bricks, of that porous, fiery sort which seemed so peculiarly designed to the monstrous vagaries of rural architecture. Here in Ascalon they fitted well with the arid appearance of things as a fiery face goes best with white eyebrows anywhere. The courthouse was a two-storied structure, with the cupola as indispensable to the old-time Kansas courthouse as a steeple to a church. The jail was in the basement of it, thus sparing culprits a certain punishment by concealing the building's raw, red, and crude lines from the eye. Not that anybody in jail or out of it ever thought of this advantage or appreciated it. Indeed, for Ascalon was proud of the courthouse and fired with the desire and determination to keep it there in the plaza forever and a day. There were precedents before them, and plenty of them in that part of the country, where county seats had been changed, courthouses of red bricks and gray stones put on skids and moved away, leaving desolation that neither maledictions could assuage nor oratory could repair. For prosperity went with the courthouse in those days, and dignity, and consequence among the peoples of the earth. Hitching racks, like crude apparatus for athletic exercises, were built around the courthouse, with good driving distance between them and the plank sidewalks. Here the riders from distant ranges tied their jaded mounts, here, such as made use of wagons in that land of horseback-going men, hitched their teams when they drove in for supplies. There was not a shrub in the courthouse square, 
not the dead and stricken trunk of his tree standing monument of any attempt to mitigate the curse of the sun there was not a blade of grass not a struggling wind-blown flower only here and there chickweed grew spreading its green tracery over the white soil in such sequestered spots as the hoofs of beast and the feet of men did not stamp and chafe and wear and in the angles of the courthouse walls the russian thistle barbed with its thousand thorns men did not consider beauty in ascalon this tophet at trail's end save it might be the beauty of human flesh and then it must be rouged and powdered and enforced with every cosmetic mixture to win attention in an atmosphere where life was lived in a ferment of ugly strife there was in ascalon in those bloody days a standing coroner's jury of which tom comboy was the foreman composed of certain gamblers and town politicians whose interests were with the vicious element to these men the wide notoriety of the town was capital therefore it was seldom indeed that anybody was slain in ascalon without justification according to the findings of this coroner's jury in this way the gamblers and dive-keepers and such respectable citizens as chose to exercise their hands in this exhilarating pastime were regularly absolved the result of this amicable agreement between the county officials and the people of the town was that ascalon became more than ever a refuge for the outlawed and proscribed of other communities every train brought them and dumped them down on the station platform to find their way like wolves to their kind into the activities of the town gamblers and gunslingers tricksters and sharpers attended by the carrion flock of women who always hover after these wreckers and wastrels came to ascalon by scores it began to appear a question in time of what they were to subsist upon even though they turned to the ravening of one another but the broad notoriety of ascalon attended to this bringing with the outlawed and debased a fresh and eager train of victims the sons of families came from afar sated with the diversions and debaucheries of eastern cities looking for strange thrills and adventures to heat their surfeited blood unsophisticated young men came following the lure of romance farm boys from the midwestern states came with the thought of pioneering and making a new empire at the plow as their fathers had smoothed the land in the states already called old all of these came with money in their pockets and nearly all of them one day first or last became contributors to the support of ascalon's prostituted population new victims came to replace the plucked new crowds of cowherders rode in from the long trails to the south relays of them galloped night after night from the far ranches stretching along the sandy arkansas there was no want of grain to sow in the gaping furrows struck out by the hands of sin in the raw treeless unpainted city of ascalon and into all this fever of coming and going this heartbreak of shame and loss of quickly drawn weapon of flash despairing cry and death this sowing of recklessness and harvesting of despair into all this had come calvin morgan a man with a clean heart a clean purpose in his soul 
Ascalon once had been illuminated at night about the public square by kerosene lamps set on posts, after the manner of gas lights in a city. But the expense of supplying glass day after day to repair the damage done by roisterers during the night had become so heavy that the town had abandoned lights long before Morgan's advent there. Only the posts stood now, scarred by bullets, not by horses which had stood hitched to them forgotten by their owners who reveled their wages in Ascalon's beguiling fires. At the time of Morgan's coming, starlight and moonlight, and such beams as fell through the windows of houses upon the uneven sidewalk around the square, provided all the illumination that brightened the streets of Ascalon by night. On the evening of his mildly adventurous first day in the town, Morgan sat in front of the Elkhorn Hotel, his chair in the gutter according to the custom, his feet braced comfortably against the outer edge of the sidewalk, flanked by other guests and citizens who filled the remaining seats. Little was said to him of his encounter with the new city marshal, and that little Morgan made less, and brought to short ending by his refusal to be led into the matter at all. And as he sat there, chatting in desultory way, the fretting wind died to a breath, the line of men in the chairs grew indistinct in the gloom of early night, and Ascalon rose up like a sleeping wolf, shaking off the drowse of the day, and sat on its haunches to howl. This awakening began with the sound of fiddles and pianos in the big dance hall, whose roof covered all the vices which thrive best in the dark. Later, a trombone and cornet joined the original musical den, lifting their brassy notes on the vexed night air. Bands of horsemen came galloping in, yelping the short coyote cries of the cattle lands. Sometimes one of them let off his pistol as he wheeled his horse up to the hitching rack, the relief of a simple mind that had no other expression for its momentary exuberance. Sidewalks became thronged with people tramping the little round of the town's diversions, but of different stamp from those who had sparsely trickled through its sunlight on legitimate business that afternoon. Cowboys hobbled by in their peggy, high-heeled gait, as clumsy afoot as penguins. Men in white shirts without coats, their skin too tender to withstand the sun, walked with superior aloofness among the sheep which had come to their shearing pens, preoccupied in manner, yet alert, watching, watching on every hand. Now and then women passed by, but they also were of the night, gaudily bedecked in tinsel and glittering finery that would have been fustian by day to the least discriminating eye. Respectability was not abroad in Ascalon by night. With the last gleam of day, it left the stage to wantonness. As the activity of the growing night increased, high-pitched voices of cowboys who called figures of the dances quavered above the confusion of sounds, a melancholy note in the long-drawn syllables that seemed a lament for the waste of youth and a prophecy of desolation. When the music fell to momentary silence, the clash of pool balls sounded, and the tramp of feet and quavering wild feminine laughter rising sharply trailing away to distance as if the revelers sailed by on the storm of their flaming passions to land by and by on the shores of morning draggled dry-lipped 
perhaps with a heartache for the far places left behind forever. Morgan was not moved by a curiosity great enough to impel him to make the round. All this he had seen before, time over, in the frontier towns of Nebraska, with less noise and open display, certainly, for here in Ascalon viciousness had a nationwide notoriety to maintain, and must intensify all that it touched. He was wondering how the townspeople who had honest business in life managed to sleep through that rioting, with the added chance of some fool cowboy sending a bullet through their thin walls as he galloped away to his distant camp, when Tom Conboy came through the sidewalk stream to sit beside him in a gutter chair. The proprietor of the Elkhorn Hotel appeared to be under a depression of spirits. He answered those who addressed him in short words with manner withdrawn. Morgan noted that the diamond stud was gone out of the desert of Conboy's shirt bosom and that he was belted with a pistol. Presently the man on Conboy's other hand, who had been trying with little result to draw him into a conversation, got up and made his way toward the bright front of the dance hall. Conboy touched Morgan's knee. "'Come into the office, kind of like it happened a little while after me,' he said, speaking in low voice behind his hand. He rose, stretching and yawning, as if to give his movements a casual appearance, stood a little while on the edge of the sidewalk, went into the hotel. Morgan followed him in a few minutes to find him apparently busy with his accounts behind the desk. A little while the proprietor worked on his bookkeeping, Morgan lounging idly before the cigar case. "'Some feller's up the street looking for you,' Conboy said, not turning his head. "'What fellows? What do they want?' "'That bunch of cowboys from the Chisholm Trail.' "'I don't know them,' said Morgan, not yet getting the drift of what Conboy evidently meant as a warning. "'They're friends of the city marshal. He belonged to the same outfit,' Conboy explained, ostensibly setting down figures in his book. "'Thank you,' said Morgan, starting for the door. "'Where are you going to?' Conboy demanded, forgetting caution and possible complications in his haste to interpose. "'To find out what they want.' "'There's no sense in a man running his arm down a lion's throat to see if he's hungry.' Conboy said, making a feint now of moving the cigar boxes around in the case. "'This town isn't so big that they'd miss a man if they went out to hunt him. Where are they?' "'I left them at Peden's, the big dance hall up the street. Ain't you got a gun?' "'No,' Morgan returned thoughtfully, as if he had not even considered one before. "'The best thing you can do is take a walk out into the country and forget your way back, kid.' Them fellers are going to be jangled up just about right for anything in an hour or so more. I'd advise you to go. I'll send your grip to you wherever you say. You're very kind. How many of them are there? Seven, besides Craddock. The rest of them went to Kansas City with the cattle you saw leave and them three extras this evening. Craddock's celebrating his new job. He's leading them around, throwing everything wide open to them without a cent to pay. Charge it to me, he said to Peden. I was there when they came in. Charge it to me, I'm paying this bill. You know what that means. I suppose it means the collection will be deferred, 
Morgan said, grinning over the city marshal's easy cut to generosity. Indefinitely postponed, said Morgan gloomily. I'm going to put all my good cigars in the safe and do it right now. Here's something you may put in the safe for me, too, said Morgan, handing over his pocketbook. Ain't you going to leave town? Conboy asked, hand stayed hesitantly to take the purse. I've got an appointment with Judge Thayer to look at a piece of land in the morning, Morgan returned. Well, keep out enough to buy a gun. Two of them if you're a double-handed man, Conboy counseled. I've got what I need, said Morgan, putting the purse in Conboy's hand. I'd say for you to take a walk out to Judge Thayer's and stay all night with him, but them fellers will be around here a couple of weeks, I expect, till the rest of the outfit comes back for their horses. Just one night away wouldn't do you any good. I couldn't think of it said Morgan coldly. You know your business, I guess, Conboy yielded doubtfully. But don't play your luck too far. You made a good grab when you took that feller's gun away from him, but you can't grab eight guns. You're right, Morgan agreed. If you're a reasonable man, you'll hit the grit out of this burg, Conboy urged. You said they were at Pedens? First dance house you come to, the biggest one in town. You don't need to tip it off that I said anything. No niggers in Ireland, you know. Not a nigger, said Morgan. As he stepped into the street, Morgan had no thought of going in any direction save that which would bring him in conjunction with the men who sought him. If he began to run at that stage of his experience, he reasoned, he would better make a streak of it that would take him out of the country as far as his feet would carry him. If those riders of the Chisholm Trail were going to be there a week or two, he could not dodge them, and it might be that by facing them unexpectedly and talking it over man to man before they got too far along in their spree, the grievance they held against him on Seth Craddock's account could be adjusted. He had come to Ascalon in the belief that he could succeed and prosper in that land which had lured and beckoned, discouraged and broken, and driven forth again ten thousand men already there was somebody in it who had looked for a moment into his soul and called it courageous and passed on her way again he knew not whither but if ascalon was so small that a man whom men sought could not hide in it the country around it was not vast enough to swallow one whom his heart desired to find again he would find her that he had determined hours ago that should be his first and greatest purpose in this country now. No man or band of men that ever rode the Chisholm Trail could set his face away from it. He went on to meet them, his dream before him, the wild sound of Ascalon's obscene revelry in his ears. End of chapter 5 Recording by Jeff Chestnut